This is the 89th episode of Decoding Fox News, and I'm your host, Juliet Jeske. Each week, I watch and analyze. This past week, it was 15 hours of Fox News, and then break it down. I watch all the Fox News you'd never want to. Let's get into it. Fox News, election night meltdowns, Hunter Biden nothingness, and the worst war coverage. So let me set the scene for this first clip. Picture a 1950s diner with Steve Ducey front and center. Three hours to go. It is 6 a.m. on the East Coast, and that means the polls are open now in some states on this election Tuesday, including here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I'm here. So, yes, the Commonwealth of Virginia, Steve Ducey, the Commonwealth of Virginia. So many dreams broken. <laughs> what I should have included in my description is that he's surrounded by, I, I didn't really notice it, but everybody on uh, Twitter noticed it. They, I don't call it X. It's Twitter. They they noticed how he was, um, everybody in the diner was white, and they were. <laughs> and they were all senior citizens. Because who else is going to get up at 6 a.m. to go to a diner to see Fox News? So as he, you know, Steve Ducey's like, I'm Steve Ducey, and I've got a coffee cup. It was all these people just, yay, we're going to win it. And they didn't win it. And they didn't win it. And by the time Hannity came on, things had gone, it was very obvious things had gone very, 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 very poorly for the Republican Party. So it was, it was amusing. So last week, Fox News continued to give heavily biased coverage of the Israel-Hamas war while lamenting Republican losses in an off-year election and rehashing the increasingly uneventful Hunter Biden investigation and impeachment inquiry involving President Biden. On Monday, Ducey and Fox and & Friends assumed that Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin would win a Republican majority in both state houses and ride the momentum to a possible 2024 presidential campaign. Tuesday morning started off with that scene that I just played you and then ended with Hannity and his guests discussing the topic of abortion endlessly while trying to strategize new ways they could convince the American voters that bans on reproductive care weren't so terrible. After three lackluster Republican debates in an ever-shrinking field of challengers in the GOP primary, Fox News also began to pivot back to heavily promoting Donald J. Trump for president. Meanwhile, the network ignored stories about climate disasters in France, Pakistan, and East Africa, along with a migrant crisis in Germany and a few pending Supreme Court decisions. So the shows I covered last week were Fox and Friends, The Five, and Hannity. And um, you may have listened to the bonus episode. If you didn't, that's okay. That was dedicated to just the uh, election night, which went horribly wrong for Republicans. Now, this is Dana Perino on The Five, the day after 
the election that went horribly wrong for Republicans. And she's breaking it down very bluntly. And you never see this on Fox, which is why I got kind of excited, even though it's not really a dynamic clip. It's just so rare that this happens that I was like kind of, you know, jaw dropped, just shocked as she was just like, this is the problem. This is the problem. And this is the problem. We need to get it together. Happened last night. Uh, well, uh, lots of things. Um, I do. Let's just take B- Bashir, Kentucky, for example. Uh, young governor, uh, pretty popular, had a pretty good approval rating. Uh, abortion was an issue early on. And I think Daniel Cameron, who is a great candidate, he's attorney general of Kentucky. He had Trump's backing. That's a state that Trump won by like 35 points or something like that. But incumbents are hard to beat. Abortion is an issue that's hard to beat. And get out the vote is difficult. You mentioned in the commercial break about fundraising. I don't know the details in terms of how much was spent in Kentucky versus others. But overall, yesterday, Republicans were outspent by a lot. Mm. One of the things that happening, that's happening is that small dollar donors are really strong in the Democratic Party. Right. They, they, you Basically, they have this it's called Act Blue. And you just it's like throwing seeds into a, a field with lots of fertilizer that you saw out in California. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, here everybody's t- sending their money in. So I did some research last night to see exactly what she was talking about. So in the case of the Virginia State Senate race, uh, Democrats raised $62.1 million, while Republicans raised $41.9 million. Apparently that's a record. Uh, for the House, the Virginia House of Delegates is what they call it, um, Democrats raised $48.2 million and Republicans raised $38.6 million. So in Ohio, groups that supported the ballot measure to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution raised $28.7 million, and groups opposing the measure only raised $10 million. In Kentucky, according to the website followthemoney.org, the incumbent governor, Andy Bashir, who was a Democrat, raised $23.1 million, while his Republican challenger, Daniel Cameron, only raised $6.5 million. And I wanted to put that all together for you because when I was looking it up, I kept finding articles that were like a month old. And so the, the numbers weren't accurate. And I don't really know why that is. It's just that off year elections don't generate as much um, excitement. They don't get as much coverage. So I had to go like hunt down these websites that keep track of every single penny donated to candidates. And that just took a minute. So um, glad to give you that resource. So another one, and it's all hyperlinked in the newsletter. If you don't know what the newsletter is, if you're new to the podcast, the newsletter is the written version of this podcast, which can be found at my Substack channel for Decoding Fox News. Just want to, sometimes I don't remember to mention that. This is very much a startup, a micro-budget project, and I am a newsroom of one. So sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to remember that. There's nobody to tell me that. So anyway, I make fun of myself a lot, too, on the podcast. So anyway, Perino also pointed out that former President Donald J. Trump and other candidates in the Republican primary race were attracting donors while candidates in smaller state battles were not. And this is especially tragic considering the GOP primary race is completely fruitless. I don't think any of those candidates have a prayer of becoming the nominee. And Donald J. Trump is going to beg for money no matter what. Most of it's probably going to pay for his legal problems. Um, It's all kind of ridiculous. On the Republican side of things, the the GOP primary has taken a lot of small dollar donations, right? Also, 
President Trump's PACs take a lot, and some of these campaigns didn't have enough. And Republicans are getting swamped by Planned Parenthood fund. Not only the money that Planned Parenthood has, but the organization is superb. So the Democrats are trying to get abortion referendums on several different states that will matter greatly in the 2024 general election. And that includes Nevada, for mm. example, Florida, where you would have to get a 60 percent uh, turnout or approval in order for it to pass. What kind of a turnout motivator is that for Democrats? Also, pay attention to the young vote. They are organized. They are. We saw this in Wisconsin when they did that special Supreme Court election that was also about abortion. You had an 88 percent turnout rate in the county where the school, the main, the main campuses are in Wisconsin. What do you think that's going to look like in Florida or in Nevada or if they get one in Georgia? So it's a it's a serious problem that Republicans need to wrestle with. I do. And what I loved about that clip is it was a rare moment on Fox News when a host was actually being honest with their audience. That does not happen. And I don't think that the network has turned a corner or really fundamentally changed since the Dominion voting systems uh, settlement. I don't think they have at all. But Dana Perino at least took that moment to be like, look, we got a problem here. Instead of, oh, well, the Democrats cheated and the ballot measure in Ohio was confusing. and that. No, people knew what they were voting for in Ohio. People knew what they were voting for. That was just an onslaught of media pushing and promoting both sides of that. Even though the Democrats had a lot more money, people knew what that was about. Um, so... We go from very serious Fox News pundit Dana Prino to your old school classic man who helped found this entire right wing media uh, ecosystem in some ways, Sean Hannity. Now, I played this clip before in the bonus episode, but I promised in the bonus episode that I would find other media clips to pair with it um, to make kind of show the full arc here. And this is Sean Hannity. And what made me so crazy about this is when he said Democrats are weaponizing abortion as a, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? As somebody who grew up in a deeply red state in a city with 800,000 Catholics in this. And I was born in the 70s. I thought, sir, this issue, sir, sir, like Trump. Sorry, it just came out of me. But like I thought of <laughs> my entire life, this issue has been. Uh, weaponized this from the time I you know took my first breath this issue has been uh, politicized and weaponized I, I grew up with people who would only vote with parents who would only vote on this one single issue and they openly declared it even for offices that made no sense like mayor you know or a local office that these people are not going to have any say whatsoever in abortion but they would still vote based on how pro-life the candidate was. So this is Sean Hannity the night of the election making some bold claims that are completely false. And Democrats now are using abortion as a political weapon. Not only do they accuse Republicans every two and four years of being racist, sexist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, wanting dirty air, wanting dirty water, and wanting to kill grandma and grandpa. Now they're saying that Republicans will end all abortions, which is a lie. Now, I added a couple of media clips. This first one is CBS. Uh, the second one is from an interview that Mike Pence did on YouTube. And the third one 
is from PBS. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham has introduced a new bill today pushing for a national abortion ban after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Abortion is shaping up to be a key issue in November's midterm elections, and Graham said if Republicans take back the House and Senate, they will have a vote on the bill. I think we ought to ban abortion across America at, from that point that a baby can experience pain in the womb forward. It's a 15-week minimum ban. I believe it's an idea whose time has come. Following the Dobbs decision, abortion bans in 13 states immediately took effect, restricting access to abortion. Some states like Texas banned abortions with almost no exceptions, and the penalties are severe. Under Senate Bill 8, anyone caught helping someone access an abortion can be sued. And the state's trigger laws criminalize doctors performing the procedure. They risk losing their medical license, a $100,000 fine, and prison time. So I included that last clip to sort of really undermine what Hannity said about Republicans don't want total bans, because they obviously do. They push them in several states, and they are law in several states. So those clips are... Um, it's involving Lindsey Graham introduced a bill about two months before the last midterm where he said um, he wanted a national ban at ab on abortion at 15 weeks. Then that was Mike Pence, who was running for president, former vice president Mike Pence, who wanted a total ban on abortion at 15 weeks. Uh, he also wanted to uh, get the widely used drug used in first trimester abortions removed from the market. And he even wanted to ban abortions in cases where a pregnancy was not viable, which would force a woman to carry a doomed pregnancy to term that could re result in a stillborn birth or a baby dying soon after birth. It could also put the mother's life in grave danger if the fetus died during the pregnancy. So in terms of abortion access, currently Americans face total or partial bans in nearly half the country. As of November 14th, 21 states have either banned abortion completely or have severe restrictions. 14 have a total ban on the procedure. Two have a ban at six weeks, which is when many women and girls and people who can get pregnant discover they are pregnant. Two states have a ban at 12 weeks. Three states have a ban at 15 to 18 weeks. So according to research by the Guttmacher Institute, 46% of abortions occur in the first six weeks of pregnancy and 92% occur in the first 13 weeks. So on paper, a 15-week ban makes sense because you think, well, that's 92% of abortions. Uh, people can still get abortions. However, if you're one of the unlucky women who discovers that her pregnancy has horrible, horrible complications at, say, 16 weeks, which would be four months, what do you do then? You know, uh, fly to Canada, go to Mexico. It's just the idea that a law written to make it easier for Republicans to win re-election, uh, so they pick 15 weeks, would be more important than a woman with a very complicated pregnancy who might die if she doesn't get medical intervention. And again, it, on paper, it looks great. Oh, if the woman's life is in danger, she can get an abortion. But in Texas, uh, a state where there have been a number of lawsuits about this, what that means is that a woman's vital signs have to drop to the point that it looks like she could die at any moment before they'll intervene. And this is in when you've got situations where the fetus has already died inside the woman's body. Like you, I, I don't even, what's the point of not intervening? The, the, fetus is not viable. What is the point? 
And if you've ever known somebody who has had an ectopic pregnancy, there's no there's no hope. It's just, you know, the ovum gets fertilized, attaches in the wrong part of the reproductive system, usually fallopian tube, sometimes a C-section scar. It will not ever grow to be a baby. It will never grow to be a baby. It will get to a certain point where it starts to kill the mother, and now you've got a medical emergency. These are just horribly tragic situations, and I don't, I don't, I just don't know why a bureaucrat decides them over a doctor. I would think you'd want a doctor trying to save your life or your doctor trying to do the best for you, rather than Lindsey Graham because he decided that 15 weeks is the best way for Republicans to get reelected. I mean, they openly admitted it on Hannity's show. We just, we only care about this, this 15 week because it's easier for us to get reelected, not because it's better for women or better for babies. No, it's just easier, easier for us to get reelected. So this next clip is Greg Gutfeld. And this one did gangbusters on social media uh, with some very odd takes on abortion. Mm. It's no longer a constitutional right, so you can have one and you can live with it. But we can still talk about it. It's a loss. It's a denial of transformational change. It's a decision for most people. I'm not talking about specifics, but for most people done out of fear. But we no longer have to pretend it's anything more than that. We don't have to have political discussions about rights. Abortion is based on a fear that is greater than the actual reality. And if you don't believe me, talk to somebody who had a baby and then think about how they were before they had the baby. That's called a transformational change, right? The woman becomes a different woman than she was before when abortion was an option. And that drives the fear. Once you see that, you can't unsee it, right? It's the best anti-abortion argument out there, and no one is making it. People do have their reasons for abortions. You mentioned a very, very tragic and ugly one. But people make decisions out of their careers or maybe their relationship. The person they're dating isn't the person they want to marry. Uh, but underneath all that is a fear of this transformational change. And if you admit that, that might actually move you to maybe a different stance than you have now. There's so many glaring things about that statement that I think people responded to. It's always difficult for a cisgender man to talk about abortion in general because he will never have to deal with making that decision or dealing with getting pregnant or anything like that. So it's always kind of a a bad place to start, number one. Number two, you're dealing with a 59-year-old who doesn't have children. And he's making these broad sweeping statements about parenting and all of that. And he's also basing his opinion, and he openly admitted it in the clip, about his own life experience. Well, that's great. You're an overpaid white man on Fox News who lives in New York City. Who do you know? (laughs) You know, like how many, uh, you know, poor women of color who live in poverty who already have kids do you know? I I can't imagine you know many. Any, really, to be honest. So according to the latest research by the Guttmacher Institute, roughly 60% of women, and I will also add non-binary transgender people who can become pregnant, who seek abortion are already mothers. They've gone through the transformational change that Gutfeld rambled on about. A typical abortion patient is unmarried, in their late 20s, poor, with some college education, and is in very early in, in their pregnancy. Almost half, or 49% of patients who got an abortion in 2014, lived below the poverty level. 
A study also showed the study also showed that about 25% of American women will have an abortion before the end of their reproductive years. Abortion rates have also dramatically declined from the peak in the 1980s, and Americans are having about half as many abortions as they did 30 years ago, as teenagers are having less sex and access to reliable birth control. I just want to take a brief break before I go to the next topic to talk about my sponsor. And who would my sponsor be? That would be the listeners of this podcast and the readers of my newsletter. I am 100% supported by listeners and readers, not by a large donor and not by an advertiser. I might get an advertiser eventually, but no one's asked to advertise in this podcast yet. I'm not really sure how to make that happen. I don't know if I have enough listeners to attract an advertiser yet, but it might happen one day. But t- until that day, if you would like to become a paid subscriber for Decoding Fox News, you can do so at my Substack or at my Patreon. Um, there's also a dollar sign next to my name on uh, Twitter. That's one way you can donate as well. Uh, any paid subscriber on Patreon or Substack also gets exclusive content. So I'm not begging. I'm actually providing a service. Somebody said that Uh, last week and I said so what do you call exclusive content that takes me hours and hours and hours to put together Uh, I'm sorry that's not free that's work and I'm getting paid for that so that's how that works it's capitalism lady anyways a woman who said it I thought it was funny Um, I also want to do a very quick because I haven't done her in a while and she just came back up in the news and a follower on Twitter asked I told him that I did this impression and he he asked about it I said well I haven't done her in a while I'll make sure I'll do it in the next podcast. I'll tell him where to find this this bit. And that person, she's very thin. She's got short hair. She's intense. I do have her memoir. I will be, I was looking through it again. I, I kind of forget to work on it. And I was looking through it again and going, oh, this is comedy gold. But, um, <laughs> and that woman is Carrie Lake. I, you are fake news and you're a liar. And I am the governor of Arizona which has officially been renamed Carizona. And why was I in the news recently? Because I had an interview with Tim Miller, that beautiful gay man over at at the Bulwark. He's gorgeous. I met him. I met him in real life. And I thought, my goodness, I get it now. He had a line of older women who wanted to talk to him who all knew he was gay, but they didn't care. They just wanted to be around his presence. And they openly said it. It was kind of funny. It was at the Texas Tribune Festival. True story. But Carrie Lake was interviewed by him, and she thought it would be a nifty little thing to have her own camera and then release release her own footage as if it would make her look better. And it didn't. It didn't. She just looked crazy because she's crazy. I'm saying that. I like crazy people. I like imitating crazy people, and I love it when they run for office as long as they don't win. When they win, they terrify me because now they have power. But when they don't win, they just remain funny. So, like, if Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert didn't win their elections, hilarious. They'd be hilarious. Once they win, they're terrifying. So, that's my Carrie Lake. And, yes, I have her memoir. And I want to read from it because it's already fun. I was skimming it and laughing. Laughing. I'm just worried about copyright issues. So, I'm going to have to do excerpts. Excerpts, I'm allowed. I'm allowed. Have I made her a Broadway star? I have a little bit. And I openly admit it. But she kind of is one, isn't she? She's kind of... How is she not being... I hope there's a drag queen doing her somewhere. I pray to God there's a drag queen somewhere in a stage right now in Arizona doing Carrie Lake. 
Because if somebody needed to be spoofed and honored, because it's kind of a, it's kind of both, by a drag queen, it's Carrie Lake. She kind of is. Anyway, if a, if a drag queen performed as me on stage, I would, I would probably cry. I'd be so happy. I used, <laughs> when I performed uh, in New York City, uh, in the East Village, Lower East Side, I, I performed as a host, as an MC. That's what they call it, a host, but it's basically an MC in burlesque and nightlife shows, um, people often, depending on which character I was playing, thought I was a drag queen. And I took that as high, high praise. <laughs> I was never offended. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. You thought I was a drag queen? I love you. I love you. You're amazing. So um, yeah, that's my sense of humor. So we're going to shift now to Jesse Waters, who, boy, he's been giving me material lately. Um, this is just a quintessential Jesse Waters clip. You know, Jesse, uh, when you see the continuing protests and this kind of unhinged behavior, even in D.C., our politicians, I'm wondering if River to the Sea means the Hudson River to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I did not even know what River to the Sea meant, yeah. and I don't even think the binder knew until 24 <laughs> hours ago. Uh, I'm learning a lot. Uh, over the last couple of days about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and, and I think everybody is. Now, I said in the newsletter that if he actually watched the network that he works on, he would not be more informed about what's going on in Israel-Hamas. Basically, they don't show, what Fox does is they never show Palestinian children, they never show Palestinian women, uh, they never show the aftermath of the airstrikes. It's just um, they only focus on Hamas in the full black regalia where you can only see their eyes and the green scarf and they only show mobs of men at protests or throwing stones at police officers. And no matter what you think about this conflict, that's not a fair way to cover a war. They're just it's incredibly biased. I, I know people have very strong opinions about this war. No matter what I post, people get mad at me. So I just generally try to avoid it. Um, so, I mean, Literally, I could write, like, peace on earth, and somebody would scream at me, like, how dare you? I'm like, okay, I don't, I give up. Um, the war is very contentious. People have very strong feelings. The other things that Fox does that's um, very telling is they repeatedly call every pro-Palestine protest anti-Israel. When I mentioned that on Twitter, people got all mad, and they said, well, they are all anti-Israel. I'm like, actually, they're not, because some of them are vigils literally like a vigil for a ceasefire and you might view that as anti-israel i don't think the people at the vigil view that as anti-israel just calling for a ceasefire is not necessarily anti-israel then to complicate things there's often jewish people at pro-palestinian um, protests who simply are criticizing the israeli government or maybe they also want a ceasefire it's a spectrum you will also find people who are radical, who are pro-Hamas, who have some really um, dangerous ideas, in my humble opinion. But you will kind of find that in any political situation. You will always find the extremes on both sides of the spectrum that are, you know, not great. So I think to call every single pro-Palestine uh, protest anti-Israel is just, they're going too far with that. But they don't care. They, they, are, they know what they're selling. They're selling a very... Um, oversimplified version of this conflict. Uh, they are, they don't want to include images of civilians getting hurt. They don't want to include anything other than what they're showing. And 
Jesse Waters is classic. So he openly admits he doesn't know anything about Israel. But yet in the past month, he's done several segments where he's trashed Arab Americans. He's trashed Palestinians. He's trashed the Middle East in, in a very bigoted way. So thank you so much, Jesse Waters. You just showed us why you're so bigoted. Um, so in this next clip, uh, this is Lindsey Graham, who's known as a, a war hawk. Uh, he has been his entire career. And the things he said here, I mean, you just could play these for any, I mean, I, again, I don't mean to downplay this at all. I know this is a very contentious issue and people get very emotional and they're very invested. Uh, and I, and I totally understand why. Um, if somebody thinks Trump would be better for the Palestinian people, play them this clip. Talk about Hillary Clinton. Old, bitter and defeated is no way to go through life. So I support President Trump. It's offensive to me to suggest I'm supporting Adolf Hitler because she disagrees with the way he does business. Here's what President Trump did. He recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. He recognized Golan Heights as part of Israel. He got six Arab nations to recognize Israel as a legitimate one and only Jewish state. That's not Adolf Hitler. That's the strongest supporter of Israel in modern American history. Donald Trump did more for Israel than any single president. On Biden's watch, more Jews have been killed since the Holocaust. Hamas saw weakness. They acted. And I'll tell you this. If one American is killed by Shiite militia supported by Iran, if one of our soldiers is killed in Iraq and Syria, we should blow the Iranian oil refineries to smithereens. We should destroy their ability to fund terrorism. Let Iran know tonight, you kill an American, we're coming after you. So I just want to also point out that Lindsey Graham is hardly the only Republican to share that kind of extremely um, pro-Israel, hawkish attitude towards Iran. I, I would say the, the majority of people in his party would be close to what he just said there. Uh, at the GOP third debate, all the Republicans pretty much shared his, his views. Maybe not as harsh, but not exactly uh, moderate towards uh, the Israel-Palestine situation. Uh, that's what we're dealing with. We have a two-party system. A third-party candidate really doesn't have much of a prayer of winning a presidential election. So voting, uh, quote unquote, your conscience for someone who's a hopeless case who won't win is just giving a vote to one of the other two. And so I, I just don't know if you have to pick Joe Biden or Donald J. Trump. Trump would be far, far, far worse for the Palestinian people and the entire situation in Israel. He actually terrifies me how he would be handling this right now. Um, so and I, again, it's a very, very contentious um, subject on that. So next up, we have Harold Ford Jr., who is supposed to be a liberal on the five, but he's far more of a moderate. Um, he pretty much agrees with his co-hosts on a regular basis. So he's not Jessica Tarloff, although he does sit in that seat. But he does have a rare moment where he breaks out, and this is it. So on Tuesday on the five, Harold Ford Jr., the moderate voice, pushed back on a theory about Hunter Biden. J Judge Jeanine Pirro was certain that Hunter Biden had committed a number of crimes that involved his father. Her proof was a personal check written by James Biden in the amount of $40,000 to his brother, Joe. The check was marked as a loan repayment and dated September 3rd, 2017. Now, here's the full exchange. 
it pretty much includes everybody on the five except for Dana Perino. So, you know, David Weiss is not an innocent player here. This is money laundering. And either Joe made a loan to the family and they paid him back through Chinese funds mm -hmm. that, uh, connected to the Chinese. Uh, uh, come on. Can I can I ask you a question? What yeah. would be I, I don't necessarily I'm not going to do business with China, but what would be wrong with that? What's because legally if wrong? A, if, if, if it's a Chinese connected Communist Party connected fuel company right. where the where the heads of the government are on the board, then that's illegal. No, well, no. Tell me what's illegal. I, I wouldn't do that. But there's I don't know what's illegal about that. He was not in office. If you think if he did give the family a loan and they paid him back through this money, we're going to make some assumptions. Right. What's a, I don't know what's illegal about that. Because they are they are promising something in return for that money. What did they give them in return for that? Oh, you so know contract law. I got it. so you're what saying you you're saying that maybe they said we're going to give you help in the government. Maybe with, uh, I'm just trying to figure out. I'm just trying to figure out what's As a constitutional me, legal expert, I believe it's called quid pro quo. <laughs> but, yeah, but, which but, a phrase no, I just coined. It's quid but, pro Joe. <laughs> but Joe wasn't in office. All I'm saying, I hear everything everybody saying he was not Harold. in office. Harold. So I get it. I get Harold. it. I just want to get the get the law down. <laughs> well, here, here it is, Harold. I mean, they were paying him for what he did when he was in office. Oh, so they, I this wanted, came I, in right after he was in eight years of the White House, Harold. And he took action as vice president, and then he took action favorable to China when he was president. Yeah, so this it is doesn't here. take a genius to figure it out, Harold. So that example is so laughable. It is is like a, it, it, it's like an SNL sketch. So they're saying that a check James Biden wrote to his brother for forty thousand dollars, wrote on the check loan repayment, is proof. That nine months after he left office, or eight months after he left office, a Chinese energy company sent James Biden, this is what they claim, $400,000, and that James Biden took 10% of that, sent it to his brother, just happened to write loan repayment on the check, you know, just throw off the cent. Um, now, do they have any proof of anything that they just said? No, they don't. Um, they're cobbling this together. Then they also don't have any proof that uh, Joe Biden, who was a retired politician at this point, in September 2017, um, did anything to get that money. Uh, do, do most people get paid nine months after something or eight months after they do something? No. Usually you get the payment right away. You don't wait eight months. So that's goofy. Also, CNN looked into this. And that's funny, too, how they moved the goalpost. Oh, we can't prove that he did anything in the government to change the policy to help aid China. So we're just going to say he did it in the past. And he did it while he was vice president. So even we can't prove it, we have, nothing, we have no paper trail to prove that he did anything in terms of policy to help China. We're just going to claim that he did, haha, and they just paid him eight months later. Sure. Also, what does a vice president do in terms of policy? Because they don't do much. You know, they're kind of just there in case the president dies. We know this. What the heck did Mike Pence do? Not much. He was in, supposed to be in charge of all this stuff. He did nothing. So give me a break. Uh, also, um, CNN and other outlets looked into this, and they found a wire transfer that's probably from uh, Joe Biden. It had some of the markings that would indicate it's the same account that he has used for other things, where he wired his brother $40,000. Then six weeks later, James Biden wrote a check for like, here you go, $40,000 back to my brother, and then wrote loan repayment on the check. So there is a paper trail that shows Joe Biden giving 
James, $40,000. Six weeks later, James paying him back. Brothers, that's normal to have a loan that's no interest. Okay, not a scandal. This is just desperation on their part. Desperation. They've got nothing. And Harold Ford Jr. kind of proved it. And they just had nothing to say but just, oh, no, how dare you? You're so stupid. How can you not see this? That's all they had. They had nothing. So ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, so this next clip I added just because I thought somebody had mentioned it on Twitter. And I thought, you're right. And this is after the, the day after the debate, there was a little bit of a fracas between Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy, where he brought up her daughter. So this first clip is uh, Steve Ducey talking about it with his co-host. And the second part of this clip is Steve Ducey talking to a pollster about it. And she had done a study. I'll just explain it because these are both very short clips. Um, she had done a study where she um, gives people who are watching the debate a device. And it's like a dial. And as they're watching um, the debate. If they like something, they turn the dial one direction. If they don't like something, they turn the dial the other direction. So she's basing her analysis off of data collected from audience members who watch the debate. Here's the truth. You don't go after somebody's family. Uh, he had talked about TikTok. Her daughter is 25 years old. She can make up her own mind. Uh, once they leave the house, they can, they're on their own. You've, you've done She's enough. She's a grown adult. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Nick, when Vivek Ramshwamy went after Nikki Haley's daughters. There were like three or four that liked it, but for the most part, people were like, oh, that is going too far. Do not go after somebody's children. Last so the woman's voice you hear is a woman named Lee Carter, who's with a poll polling company called Melansky and Partners. And she's on Fox quite a bit. They have her on pretty much every election. So what's interesting about that is I posted a clip that on Twitter that included the first half of that, and a bunch of people commented, and I thought it was funny. What do you mean you can't go after family members? Don't they, like, dedicate half their airtime to going after Hunter Biden? And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's pretty funny. You are correct. So I feel like I'm not doing my podcast if I don't do a quick Judge Janine impression. Um, so she said something last week that was startling, and I was like, Wow. So when they were discussing abortion, she basically did this. You know, I'm Judge Janine, and these Republicans with their bans on abortion need to know that women want freedom, and they're not going to put up with this. She actually did say that. It was kind of amazing. The clip's on Twitter, and I just was like, oh, she does that. She'll stand up for women sometimes, and you don't see it coming because you're like, what? what? What did you just say? Like, she hates Hillary Clinton. She hates AOC. She goes off about both of them. But then she'll have these rare moments where the um, kind of sexist pigs that she works with, which are Greg Gutfeld and Jesse Waters, will be kind of going down a dark path and she'll snap at them. And that's why I love watching her because I never know what she's going to do. It's like, are, what are you, what are you going to just like break the table? Like, I could see her flipping the table. It's a huge table. She's a tiny woman. I could see her doing it. I have no doubt. She'd just be like, shut up. I'm out of here. How dare you? Boom. Table flipped. And nobody would care. They'd, she'd be back the next day. They'd probably turn it into a bit. The Judge Janine table flipping moment. Okay, so next section is stories Fox News ignored every week. I compare the hours I watch on Fox to five hours of the PBS NewsHour. The following list are stories that PBS covered that Fox News did not. Uh, we start off with climate disasters, which Fox always ignores unless they're happening in the United States. In East Africa, 
Heavy rains have caused the worst flooding in decades, with at least 40 people killed. The excessive rain in Kenya and Somalia has displaced hundreds of thousands of people. Across the globe, this October was the warmest on record. It marked the fifth month in a row to average a new high global temperature. Smog in the country's second largest city in Pakistan hit dangerous levels last week. The smog is largely due to farmers burning crop waste. Parts of northern France were hit by excessive rains that caused massive floods. 200 communities across the region have closed their schools. Odessa. Now we move on to new stories. Odessa, a southern port in Ukraine, faced a barrage of Russian attacks. Several drones and at least one missile targeted grain warehouses and trucks. The art museum was also hit, but the artwork was not damaged. Nobel Peace Prize laureate and women's rights activist Narjis Mohammadi began a hunger strike in Iran. She is in prison for allegedly spreading propaganda against the Islamic Republic. She claimed she was denied health treatments for refusing to wear a headscarf. Humanitarian aid is slowly reaching areas in northwest Nepal that were affected by an earthquake that killed more than 150 people. The second Denver area police officer was acquitted of homicide and manslaughter in the death of Elijah McLean. McLean was killed after being put in a chokehold by one officer and then given a heavy sedative by a paramedic. A third officer has been convicted of homicide in an earlier trial. Robert Cremo Jr., the father of a mass shooter in Highland Park, Illinois, who killed seven people, pleaded guilty to reckless conduct for getting his troubled son a gun license. His son, Robert Cremo III, faces murder charges. The German Chancellor, Olaf Scholz, and 16 state governors reached an agreement to curb a surge of migrants into that country. Asylum applications have increased 70% from last year. Bangladesh will increase the minimum wage for garment workers by 56% to $113 a month. This followed weeks of protests and clashes with law enforcement that killed two people and wounded dozens. WeWork, the office sharing company, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. The firm struggled during the pandemic as many employees worked from home. Amnya Navas interviewed Robert F. Kennedy Jr. about his presidential run as an independent candidate. During the interview, Kennedy was combative and repeatedly denied saying he was against vaccinations, even though Navas pushed back with many specific documented examples. It's a great interview, highly recommend it. You can get it on YouTube. The Supreme Court indicated last week that it is leaning towards upholding a law that would bar people under domestic violence restraining orders from owning firearms. The Minnesota Supreme Court refused to remove former President Trump from the state's primary ballot last year. A lawsuit was filed with with the court on the grounds that he violated the 14th Amendment by inciting the January 6th attack on the Capitol. The FDA approved a new drug for weight loss that is a newer version of an existing drug used to treat diabetes. The drug will be marketed under the name Zepbound. The Washington National Zoo shipped three giant pandas in specially created crates back to China. The pandas were on loan from China and the country declined to let them stay amid diplomatic tensions. The CDC released a report that found syphilis cases in newborns continue to increase, a 10 times increase over a decade. An increase with babies born with the disease is a sign that it's spreading in the adult population. David DePappi, the man accused of attacking former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, went on trial last week. 
DePappy faces federal charges of assaulting Paul Pelosi and breaking into the family's home last year. The U.S. Senate held a hearing over airport safety. Representatives of the U.S. airline pilots, air traffic controllers, and the National Transportation Safety Board discussed issues the government needed to address near-miss incidents and boost safety in our nation's airports. More than two dozen labor unions are calling for an industry-wide investigation of driverless cars after a series of accidents and crashes. Tracy Chapman's folk anthem, Fast Car, is a winner again. 35 years after its release, a cover of the song by Luke Combs won Song of the Year at the Country Music Awards. Chapman is the first black woman ever to win a CMA award. Christopher Ray, the director of the FBI, says there's a potential conflict of interest in selection of the Bureau's new headquarters. A GSA executive selected land owned by a former employee. The Democratic-led Senate Judiciary Committee delayed a vote on issuing subpoenas to billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow and conservative legal activist Leonard Leo as part of its investigation into alleged ethics lapses on the Supreme Court. PBS produced a segment about the many challenges people with disabilities face during climate disasters. Disabled Americans are four times more likely to die in a disaster than the general population. Vegas hotel workers reached a tentative agreement with Wynn Resorts last week, averting a strike. The Big Ten Conference has banned Michigan football coach Jim Harborough from coaching the remaining regular season games over accusations that he used scouts to steal play-calling signs from rivals. PBS invited Jody Ginsburg from the Committee to Protect Journalists to talk about the alarming amount of journalists who've been killed so far in the Israel-Hamas war. So far, 35 Palestinian journalists have been killed, along with five journalists from other countries. PBS produced a segment about shortages of new drugs used to treat RSV in infants. In an interview with Univision, former President Donald J. Trump threatened to weaponize the Justice Department against his opponents if he's reelected. The National Toy Hall of Fame added the Fisher Price Corn Popper, along with baseball cards, Cabbage Patch Kids, and Nerf foam toys as new inductees. The Ken doll was a finalist but did not make the cut. Fans of the doll know he's Ken enough. I added that last line because I love that movie. If you haven't seen the Barbie movie, it's very funny. Okay, um, so by the numbers, this, this is where I compare Fox News to the PBS NewsHour. I go with what were the top five topics each week, and this was Fox. 17%, so huge drop from previous weeks for the Israel, Israel Hamas war, 9% for off year elections, 7% for Hunter Biden, 6% just general Biden bashing, and 6% Trump 2024. Yikes. So for PBS, it's top six topics because there was a perfect tie with two of the categories. So we go um, Israel Hamas war, 30%, artist profile, 5%, off your election, 4%, people with disabilities affected by climate change, 4%, RFK Jr. interview, 4%, and 3% was the SAG-AFTRA tentative deal. Um, that's an agreement between the union and producers. So words used on Fox for the week ending uh, November 12th were Biden, 456. That is a lot. Israel dropped down to 311. Trump, 288. Abortion, 130 times. Uh, that's a lot. Election, 121. Iran, 79. Virginia, 77. Hunter, 65. Crime, 36. DeSantis, 30. 
Ohio, 28. Haley, as in Nikki Haley, 23. China, 20. Inflation, 8. So inflation only got eight mentions. Vivek, 7. And AOC, as usual, made the list at one. So that's the podcast. Um, I'm not sure what's happening this week. I'm going to hopefully have another installment for the Hunter Biden series for paid subscribers. I had to do a great ton of research on that. I'm watching a six-hour House Congressional Committee hearing on the IRS whistleblowers. I'm watching the entire thing, which I've had to do in sections because it's so long, um, as research for that. But it's been illuminating. I'm loving it Um, because it's another big, huge nothing burger. So if you'd like to support this podcast, you can go to my um, Substack for Decoding Fox News, Patreon for Decoding Fox News, and or share the podcast with your friends. Uh, Tell your friends about the um, newsletter. Do both. Doesn't matter. It's all good. Give it a good review on whatever uh, platform that you listen to. And I will see you next podcast. Odin and Thor, the podcast mascots, also send their love. They're cats. Thank you so much for listening.